Welcome to Christian International's Teaching of the Week, a podcast where we dive into the best handpicked lessons from Christian International's vast library of sermons, lessons, and conferences. This is exciting. I always tell people when you're a pioneer, it's good to live long enough to finally see some final results. <laughs> it's good to live long enough to finally get a little... When you're a pioneer, you're battling against opposition and People don't believe they're prophets and apostles, and they'll tell you you're a fanatic, you're in false doctrine, and, and even your brethren you're raised up with in the ministry that with the old order latter rain, don't believe in the new order prophetic, and, you know, we just have lots of fun, you know. But it's good to finally, my first 30 years of ministry was preparation for the next 30 plus, amen. And um, most of you, uh, I've heard different things about different places, about Washington and Texas and Arizona and Florida. I thought I'd give you a little more sequence of it. I, I left Bible college in 1953. How many were not on planet Earth in 1953? I said, okay. And uh, I was at a church the other day and I told them, well, I said, I was born again in 1950, but I said, I was born again in the middle of the last century of the last millennial. And they looked at me like you are. Huh? What's that? <laughs> How many living in the third millennium? You don't know what you're living in. Okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, no, 1900s was the last millennial, 20th century. Uh, last century of the last, and yeah, we won't worry about that. You don't have your... <laughs> I quit trying to explain that. <laughs> but yeah, we was in, I started pastoring at the mature age of 19 in 1954 and uh, pastored there for six years, and um, the Lord took me out of Bible college, put me in a school of hard knocks, and uh, started making the man before he made the ministry, and while we were there, had one year traveling ministry, and it was down in Amarillo, Texas, and I stopped, all doors closed, and so I went to work because my wife was pregnant, and we stayed there a while, then went back to Washington, and stayed there for another while, my wife, when we got there, the doctor said, I give no chance for your wife making it, I mean, no chance for the child being born alive, and 50-50 chance every wife made it. She has infection so much in her system, and the doctor was with in Texas, wasn't treating her the way it should have been. He reversed everything. You know, Sherlin was born with uh, four and a half pounds, six weeks early, didn't even have to be put in the incubator, praise God. Thank God we was connected to some prophets that knew how to prophesy the word of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> but after pastoring there, I got through Pastor and I, then we traveled a while, then went out of pulpit ministry and worked in the business world for two or three years uh, as my wife had a car wreck and couldn't uh, crush the third, fourth, and fifth thoracic vertebrae, couldn't lift anything, took therapy three times a week, and I was uh, working on a job, and we had three small children, Tim was seven, and Tom was about four, and Sherlyn was two, one and two there. She'd just been born and raised up. And it was a challenging situation. I won't have time to tell you all the training processes I went through, but I died a few times and came back alive. <laughs> Amen. I tell people, if you have a great call and destiny, I know many of you have a desire to be of great things for God. And when I did the mentoring with the prophets the other day, I said, if you desire great things, you're desiring great tests. The greater the call, the greater the testing and the trying and the perfecting. Amen. And um, so uh, I know everybody's got two or three heartbreaking, mind-blowing, world-shaking situations in your life if you're heading to be like Jesus. 
How many's had at least one? You that couldn't raise your hands, rejoice. It is coming. <laughs> Amen. We hope that you have been enjoying this installment of the Teaching of the Week. This session was recorded during our 2017 International Gathering of Apostles and Prophets Conference. I wanted to let you know that we have another conference coming up in February from the 19th to the 22nd that is going to be an incredible time of encounter and impartation. It is the Watchman Leadership Summit, and the theme is unshakable. For more information on this, you can visit our website at christianinternational.com. We invite you to join us in person to experience a Christian International Conference firsthand. We'll see you there. Well, I had pastored for six years and was convinced I was not called to be a pastor. In fact, after being there for a year, every Monday morning after a Sunday service, I would be praying, Lord, have your will, have your will. In case you know what I'm saying, get me out of here. <laughs> you ever pray that way? Yeah, and, um, but God kept me there for six years. You know, I finally said, Lord, okay, if you want me to stay here the rest of my life, I finally said, okay. In six months, he had me out and going. But um, then I was working on a job there, and I, I decided, the Lord had spoken to me when I was 20 years old, that whatever I was doing when I was 30 years old, that would be my destiny and my lot in life. Well, in 1964, I was going to turn 30 years old, July the 29th, and um, I was still on a job. So I decided I'd started a full gospel businessman chapter there and working in business and et cetera. And my wife kept saying, oh, you'll be back in the ministry in God's time. You'll be back. I just wanted to give her a five-fold ministry, you know. <laughs> that was, time was a nasty word because it wasn't on my time. I was always, did you ever try to hurry God up? Did you ever try to twist his arm? It's kind of hard. <laughs> and uh, I, I tried to tell God when I was pastoring, Lord, the world, they need my preaching. I can preach. I can prophesy. I can heal the sick. And, and, and I was taught in Bible college, we were going to change the world. I need to be out there. And I was with those few faithful saints that when I came were singing the old song, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. And I couldn't move them. Amen. <laughs> I remember, one day, I remember one day I prayed all day long. I mean, I was so fired up that that night they came to church. I got up, walked across those big oak benches, prophesying sparks flying off into my hands, and they looked at me and said, what's he doing? <laughs> you know. <laughs> but God gave me some people going. They'd been, before I came, they'd, they'd split over everything. Jesus' name, Baptized three times forwards, one time backwards, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, you know, sanctified once, twice, ever, ever, all the time, you know, just pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, no trip, no post-doses, nothing, you know, just everything that split over. And when I got there, there's debating whether they split over the split again. And so when, when I got there, the ones that were left, they could handle anything. And God said, okay, that's where I'm going to put you. And they can handle it while I'm working on you. <laughs> Amen. They're going to get a great reward in heaven. Then I married a beautiful young lady in the church, and after watching me pastor a couple of years, she decided I needed help desperately, and she volunteered. Amen. <laughs> but then I didn't see any way. I didn't want to evangelize. I, that hadn't worked. I didn't want to pastor. I said, God, I'm not going to evangelize. I'm not going to pastor. And he tricked me. He put me in a Bible college to teach. So I got an invitation to come and teach at a Bible college in San Antonio, Texas. And 64, we were loaded up in our station wagon. I had uh, settled the insurance settlement with the car. My wife was still 
very, very injured, and we made it all the way to Texas. And while we was uh, turned 30 years old, we were in Texas getting ready to prepare to teach, train young people to prepare to be workers and warriors for God. Amen. And so I thank God that he, I was there when I turned 30. And um, we I taught in a Bible college five years, but in 1967. There was a businessman came in, and he wanted to attend college, but he was in business and couldn't make it. And he said, you know, we need an extension college. And I said, yeah, I've been thinking about it. And as I travel, I run across people that would love to be able to take the Bible, but they can't stop and go to a residential Bible college. In the 60s, there weren't very many extension colleges. That was a new thing. It wasn't very much at all. So we started... We started, we incorporated Christian International in 1967, 50 years ago, and I started writing courses and putting uh, studies and putting catalogs together, and uh, then we started enrolling students, and um, then in 1970, I started extension colleges. We went into churches and started extension colleges, provided the courses, and the first two we started was San Antonio, Texas, and Mindanao, Philippines, and um, that was, and I taught the first extension college there had 50 people there, all ministers from Baptist, Church of Christ, Pentecostal, Charismatic, and I taught them the book of Acts and all the rest, and I got the Church of Christ filled with the Holy Ghost. We had a wonderful time, amen? But that started our extension college program. We ended up with hundreds of extension colleges around the world, and we enrolled thousands of students all over the world in the college. And um, it began when we started the college, we had to put a lot of courses together in the notebooks. So when we started the college in 67, I was 33, my wife was 30, Tim, who's 61 now, was 11, Tom was 8, and Sherlyn was 6. And they used to take and go round around the table putting these, you know, they've been in the ministry all the time, the whole 50 years. <laughs> Amen. We believe stardom young. Amen. It's like I, I was raised on a farm and we was all out chopping cotton and, and working in the field and cornfield and, and sun up to sundown from the time I was six years old. If you go over, walk and talk and move, you can work. My dad had one religion, work, 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 <laughs> amen. And um, so that was, uh, that was the start of it and continued on. The 1968 to 76, we established all those extension colleges. And I'm just going to skip across the mountaintops. Then in January 1972, We'd gone through one of our heartbreaking, mind-blowing, world-shaking, world-ending situations. You know, honey, shut all the doors, windows, turn the gas on. Goodbye, old world. <laughs> Goodbye. You know, how many's ever been in that place? All three of you. Okay. Come on. How many's ever had something that just felt like it's the end of the world for you? No ministry, no money, no future. Three-time mom and I zeroed out, no hope, no future. It's just all down the drain. Well, we was in that situation, and I'd already lined up to start extension colleges all up the northwest and out back east. And um, when, when I was getting ready to leave, then the, my partner, he decided we were going to shut the college down because he lost the vision. Well, I didn't know much about corporations in those days. And, and when we incorporated, he made himself the president and his wife as secretary, and I was vice president, and two-thirds won the vote. Well, if you know anything about it, I was there in name only. And it stayed that way till 1977. But then he decided he was going to shut it down. Well, I took it out of the office buildings where we had it, put it in my garage, and I had no money, none of them, no money. And uh, the little church we were attending took uh, up an offering for $200, got $200 for us. And I took $149, bought a Greyhound bus uh, tickets that you could get for 60 days. You could go anywhere Greyhound went for $149. 
So I got that Greyhound bus ticket and I went all the way up to Surrey, BC, Vancouver, BC, Canada, started two extension colleges there, one in Washington and one in California, was gone three weeks and came back home one night and gave my wife $15 to take care of three kids in the home for three more weeks. And then I took off, went over to Chicago, started Extension College there, crossed Connecticut on Greyhound bus. Then I went to a big church, got there about five in the morning on the bus, had to wait till nine o'clock to it open. Went there and talked to them about the Extension College. Went on to Connecticut, started a good Extension College there. Then New York, one o'clock in the morning, they went me loose to give them, and finally made it back home. But on that trip, out there, I went 8,000 miles on a Greyhound bus in six weeks. <laughs> that was my glorious launching in the Christian International. <laughs> People say, oh, I'd like to just travel the world like you do. You want to start out on a Greyhound bus? <laughs> <laughs> I know how a pretzel feels now when you try to sleep everywhere you can, three days and three nights from California back to Texas and then all the way up. But at our lowest ebb, that on our way back in California, I stopped at Sacramento, California, and you've read this in my books, and they asked me to call out. It was um, 1972, and the young man was there. I taught for four years in Bible college, and he said, oh, Brother Bill. I was just Brother Bill in those days. He said, I'm so glad you're here. I told these people God wanted to speak to them, and I don't prophesy. And I don't know anybody that does prophesy except you. I had prophesied to his wife that she'd marry a traveling preacher. He married her. So, <laughs> so he was confident that my prophecies were accurate because he liked what he got. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So I called out this one and that 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 one. And about 15, 20. And then I remember that's the most I'd ever seen prophetic prosperity do because the latter rain, I mean, you had four or five ministers and they laid hands on them and everybody prophesied for 10 minutes each and you did about three or four couples and that's about it. And I'd never seen over 15 or 20 prophesied to any one sitting. So I figured that must be Holy Ghost limit. So I thought, okay, I don't want to go beyond the Holy Ghost. So I said, well, just, we'll just have a sheep dip. Oh, you call them blessing lines. I called him sheep dip, get all the ticks off the saints, you know. <laughs> you folks not from the country, you know what I'm doing. But I'm a country boy through and through. And, um, but anyway, this blessing line, the fire tunnel, whatever you want to call it. So I got on the front line, the front one, and had the ministers here and ministers over here. So we lined them, 85 people went all the way around the church. And so I laid hands on the first one, and i tell you this revelation of what this is going through, what God wanted to say to them, and what God was about to do with them. And, but then I thought, then just like a volcano about to erupt with them and begin to bubble up. And I thought, God, I've already got the quota, so I put that one through. Next one, it was this worse. And then the third one, I mean, there's flashes of revelation and my volcano's about to erupt. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, I'm not trying to believe for this or make it happen. I've already got my quota. What am I going to do? <laughs> I said, you want me to just lay hands on them and everyone you give me a prophecy for to go ahead and give it? And he spoke to me in my okie lingo. He said, yeah, boy, let her rip. <laughs> Amen. For you foreigners, Okie lingo is Oklahoma country talk. Anyhow. And so I laid hands on that one and prophecy came. And then everyone I laid hands on, prophecy came. And at 2.30 in the morning, I finished with the 85th person. 
And I thought, wow, this is, I never, I, I studied out, I'd never, I was a historian. I was working on many things and studying out history and moves of God. I'd never heard of any such thing happening, not in the latter rain movement, not in Pentecost, not any place I could ever find. But when I got back home, I thought, I looked up any prophecies I'd received and a young man I'd trained in the prophetic had come by and he says, Brother Bill, God shows me in three months, you're going to, God's going to release a prophetic flow through you and it'll go from one day into the next. Well, I did flow past midnight into the next day. Then he says, it'll get to the place you just have to start it and start it again. It's like, it's just it's something you do. I thought, that sounds strange. I had Pentecostal background where you got, got to move in the spirit like Robert said. You, know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be in the spirit. You know. But... Uh, so I thought, but when I said, well, that, that was in November, and this was January the 24th, and within the three months, I prophesied from one day into the next. But I thought it was a once-in-a-lifetime situation. Two weeks later, I was in Susquehanna Valley, Pennsylvania, and they brought together some Pentecostal saints and some charismatic Catholic saints. I don't know how they got together, but somehow they did. <laughs> 150 of them. And they just sang one chorus. I taught on the restoration of the church. I started prophesying, praying for it. And everyone I prayed for, prophecy came forth. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I finished with the 150th person. And after that, everywhere I went, I was up 1, 2, 3, or 4 o'clock in the morning prophesying over people. And people would stay till sunup to get a word. Because it was like Amos. And those, in those days, the word of the Lord was scarce. Prophetic word, the, the logo, I mean, the rainbow word of the Lord. But nowadays, you get it. So, how many got prophesied to today? Come on, you got a prophecy. Look at that. Come on, wave your hand. Wave your hand. See? Look at that. I don't know, we brought six, seven, seven or eight hundred. We prophesied to and took a couple hours. I didn't. That's the joy of training people. I can stay home and take a nap. <laughs> Amen. I pity you preachers got to do it all, be it all, say it all, and have it all. Come on. You know, some preachers need to get tired of hearing their own voice. Some people are so in love with their own preaching, they just don't want to do anything but preach. Whether they get any results or not, don't make a difference, just preach the word. <laughs> Come on now. All right. I was in Phoenix there till 1977, and then the government passed a bill to try to stop all these degree mills where people promising people great jobs if they took his accounting course or this course. And they get all of those and it turned to the church and started meddling with the church. And they started trying to require all Bible college uh, degree presenting groups to be, meet the degree requirements of a big resident university. And so it wiped out about 100 Bible colleges. You know, there was training and equipping people without their degrees. So we got, the Lord said, run away to fight another day. So we moved 10 families from San Antonio, Texas, all the way to Phoenix, Arizona. And I ramrodded that one going out there, but Leon had to ramrod the one coming all the way from Phoenix back to here to Florida. Thank God. It's good to train people up to do other hard work. Amen. <laughs> and um, so we were there for seven years. And while we were there, we started the School of the Holy Spirit on Friday night. And every Friday night, we trained people. And then seven years later, we felt, I felt the Lord spoke to me and said, the next move of God is going to happen on the East Coast. I want you back there. So we started looking back to East here, and we looked at West Virginia. We looked at here and there where we could grant our degrees. And Florida was a good spot. We knew some people here we'd been ministering with. So we decided to move back here. And we moved here and through, and through a process, ended up 20 acres on the north side. And then we bought 
92, we bought the property on the south side, and then we started building the building, and here we are today. But uh, there's a few more things along the way. <laughs> and uh, then in but 78, while I was in Phoenix, I had a, two prophets prophesied to me. It was in Atlanta, Georgia. I was there to present degrees to our extension college students. And um, I laid, I, before I got there, I started having a kidney stone attack. Stopped in Louisiana and preached there, then Louisville, Kentucky. I preached there, then went on over to Atlanta. And when I got there that night, I'd been fighting that kidney stone, and uh, there was a faith man that was there, and he prayed for me, and it went away some. But I got to um, Atlanta, and we started praying for the students, prophesying over, because it was going to be prophetic next night. I mean, uh, present the degrees next night. And I started prophesying over it. His kidney stone started hitting me again. And uh, about every five minutes it hit, I'd go down almost on my knees and pray. And then the brother stood behind me and praying, had heat in his hand and helped a little bit. So I kept prophesying to about midnight. And then it finally released. I said, hallelujah, I got the victory. Because I'd gotten the victory in 1962, 1964. Now it's 1978. I said, God healed me twice. He'll heal me again. Amen. But there was something else happening. They prophesied to me and said, the book, 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 the book. Write the book. I say to you under strong anointing, stop. Write the book. I was just getting going. I tried for 10, all this time to get something. Now I had something everybody wanted, and they were calling me, and doors is open. And now God said, stop and write the book. I said, wait a minute. I don't have time. And God says, I can make time. (laughs) (laughs) So the next, after that, I got through prophesying. I stayed with this couple overnight in Atlanta. Next morning at 7 o'clock, I woke up, and it didn't start like it normally does. It hit full force. I mean, I was hurting physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was writhing on the floor, dry heaves, and it's horrible. I called my wife. I said, what do I do? What do I do? I said, if I go to the doctor, it'll shut all the doors to the faith churches. (laughs) I just was getting to open doors to faith churches. (laughs) And my wife, being the wise, was, was a wise woman. She, my wife was very wise. She chose me. But anyhow, <laughs> she said, well, why don't you go to the hospital and just have an x-ray and know what, to, what your faith's got to be. So I go there, and they take x-rays, and they say, well, this, this one kidney's been plugged over here for two or three days. You've got infections at high rate, and they're big as your thumb, and there's no way they're ever going to pass. We've got to operate. I said, well, I'll fly back to Phoenix. They said, we could not release you. Too high infection, and you now can't put you on a plane. So that night, I was bent around a pole, I guess, and they opened up my whole side and took kidney stones out. Instead of being on the platform presenting degrees, I was presenting kidney stones to the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) My wife arrived from Phoenix about the time I came out of recovery room, and we flew back to Phoenix, and... um, while I was in recovery, I said, Lord, I'm going to get all the, he goes to get all the prophecies come over you since 1951. So I went and got all out of the shoebox, out of cassettes here, and seven real player, you know, recorder. I got all of them together, wrote them out, and I noticed that God had spoken to me in 77, the book, the book, the book, stop, take time to write. Then 78, the book, the book, the book, stop, take time to write. And I read that and I thought, hmm, maybe God wants me to write a book. <laughs> You know, do you know why God repeats things? Some of us are thick-headed. <laughs> I have to hit you, boom, boom, boom. But anyhow, so 
I started, I started praying about it. I wanted to write a book on why God created the human race. I wanted to write my bachelor's thesis on, but it didn't seem to go. And finally, I said, well, a brother called and said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I felt God spoke to me. I'm supposed to help you do some research on a book you're going to write on the church. And I thought, Lord, I don't want to write on the church. I want to write on the nearest and dearest thing to you, to my heart, which is you. Yeah, it sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? And he said, I don't want you to write on the nearest and dearest thing to your heart. I want you to write on the nearest and dearest thing to my heart, which is my church. I died for the church. I rose again for the church. I live for the church. I want you to write about my church. Amen. So we wrote the book on the eternal church, and you got one in your deal. Now, this is the most important book I've ever written, because every book I've written after that, I've quoted or pulled from this book. Amen. How many has read this book? Oh, several are going to miss the rapture hadn't read my book. <laughs> but uh, this gives the origination of the church, the deterioration of the church, and then the restoration movements, and then the destiny of the church. And when I wrote my last book on God's World War III, I pulled two chapters out of the destiny of the church, and this change is going to be just now. And put it in there. Now, this book, we gave you the hard copy, and that was a, a book sold for $20 retail. And then we gave you a copy of our 50th anniversary book. How many got one of those? Now, this sold for $50. This sold for $20. So I gave you a $70 investment. Amen. Now, I would, how many has ever felt like God ought to do certain things for you because that's your revelation? When I was in Bible college, most of you have heard this, but I was in Bible college. Or Roberts had just fasted 40 days and 40 nights. William Branham had, Jack Cole had, several had, until Osborne. So I just knew if I could fast 40 days and 40 nights, God would say, step over Osborne, step over Roberts, behold, Hammond cometh. <laughs> God says, I've got other ideas for you. <laughs> And so every, every month in Bible college, I started a 40-day fast. <laughs> I think the longest I ever made was 10 days, but next month I started that 40-day fast. Man, if I could have ever made it those 40 days, what a mighty man of God I could have been. <laughs> Amen. Now, but I wanted to be Or Roberts, William Branham, Billy Graham, all rolled up in one. Now, come on, some of you young whippersnappers that's under 80. <laughs> come on, how many had some little ambition in your early years? Really be and really do. Come on, be honest. You know, and, you know, it's good to have vision and want to do everything though God has to take it out of you before he can do it. You'll understand that later. Okay. Now, but I want to do miracles. And I, as you read the red book on prophets and personal prophecy. I had cancers healed, blind eyes open, deaf ears unstopped, and all kind of miracles while I was prophesying. I didn't even know I was getting miracles. But, you know, you, you read the testimonies of hundreds. I think it was over a hundred couples I prayed for that couldn't have children that had children. Amen. And uh, cancers healed and all kind of things healed. But I never didn't know I was praying for them. I just sensed and I said, God's healing this and healing that. And they'd tell me later, I got completely healed. So it was good. But then I tried it in the apostolic, and I, if you know things ahead of time, it takes more faith, doesn't it? 
Somebody comes up to you and they got a blind eye and they say, pray for it. You say, ooh, who could, mm -hmm, Jesus. You know, you try to have more faith. Well, I was fussing with the Lord for about 40 years. <laughs> Why aren't I killing all the miracles, signs and wonders and, and uh, all of that? And the Lord says, do you think that made you more important in my sight? Well, make me feel more successful. <laughs> he said, do you know what's really precious to me? I said, no. He says, what you're doing. I said, what am I doing? You're preparing a way and making ready for my coming. How many know Acts 3.21? If you're prophetic apostolic, you should have Acts 3.21 memorized. You can't be restoration unless you know Acts 3.21. Acts 3.18 says Jesus fulfilled all messianic prophecies. Then in verse 19, it says he's to repent, change your attitude and mind, and get ready because God's going to send times refreshing, and Jesus is going to come again. But before he comes again, there's a situation. Verse 21 says, but he's held in the heavens until. Everybody say until. until. All you Spanish folks say hasta. Amen. He's held in the heavens until the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. How many has ever heard the teaching of Jesus to come any time? If you were a Baptist or Pentecostal, you heard it a lot. I was taught from the time I got saved at 16 in Assembly of God Church, Jesus is going to come any moment, you know. And I'd have these horrible nightmares. I was, I was in that worldly movie house watching Roy Rogers and Trigger. And Jesus came and I missed the rapture. <laughs> coming any moment. And uh, he's been coming. He's still going to come. But he can't come until. Now, that's hard for old evangelical dispensations to accept. But that's what the Bible says. And it's proven it. He hadn't, he hadn't come yet, I don't think. Has he come in your town, your city, your state? Yeah. I know this, some teaching this preterism and saying all prophecies have been fulfilled. You know, we're in the millennial now and Jesus already come. And, and I said, well, it sure, sure doesn't look different as I thought it would. <laughs> and we still got some devils down here in Florida. <laughs> in, in Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus said some important words. He says, of all men born of women, was Abraham born of a woman? Was Moses born of a woman? Was David born of a woman? He said, of all men born of a woman, none is greater than who? John the Baptist. And I thought, Lord, why John the Baptist so great? He didn't deliver a lot of people like Moses. He didn't work wonders. He didn't destroy a whole nation. For, for the glory of God and for the deliverance of God's people. He, he, he wasn't like Elijah. He didn't commit, he didn't do a lot of miracles, signs, and wonders. And he wasn't like David. He didn't extend the kingdom and win wars and kill a few men of the enemy. I thought, why is he so great? He said, because he's doing the nearest and dearest thing to my heart. I want to come again. How many believe Jesus wants to come again? How many believe Jesus is God? Can God do about anything he wants? So you agree, God can do anything he wants, and he wants to come back. Why hasn't he? Since he's God, and he can do anything he wants, and he wants to come back, why hasn't he? He's held in the heavens until the restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So if you don't understand that, that Jesus, when he came, 
he took on a human body, and there's about 20 things that human body had to fulfill while he was on earth as a mortal. And Jesus fulfilled them all, all messianic prophecies. Jesus said, I came from the Father, I'm going back to the Father. He came from the Father to earth, but he couldn't leave. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, can I be raptured out right now? <laughs> Come on, can I be, can I escape? The devil couldn't take him out. Religion couldn't take him out. Nobody could take him out until he fulfilled every messianic prophecy. And when he finally was crucified, went to the grave, rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave, started the church, then he's, that prayer he prayed, Father, I've finished the work you gave me to do. And Father said, yes, you have. Now sit at my right hand till I make all enemies your foot's to. And then Hebrews, uh, Acts 3, 21 has been used in the restoration movement, but in this World War III we're in, in the Army of the Lord movement, we've seen Hebrews 10, 13, where it says, after Jesus made the one perfect sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, waiting. Everybody say, waiting. Waiting, waiting for what? What's he waiting on? What's he waiting on? I don't know, do you have it up there? You don't have it up there. Okay. He's waiting till all enemies are made his footstool. I don't know what all that means, but it's what it says. What's, who's he waiting on? Turn to your neighbor and say, you. He's waiting on the church. Jesus did everything he was supposed to do in his personal human body. It's seated at the right hand of the Father now. Now he says, I've raised up the body of Christ. I gave all power to my church. I'm living in my church, and I'm going to finish the rest of it through and in and with my church. Yes. Hallelujah. And you're God's executioners of the enemy. You're God's hands extended. You're God's voice speaking. You're God's body. You are the body of Christ, and we're called to demonstrate his kingdom and bring all things to pass. Amen. And I always, in the book, I continue to say, if Jesus hasn't come back literally, then don't sit around saying, come Lord Jesus, look for revelation of what yet needs to be fulfilled, because the moment the last thing is fulfilled, he comes. I said, he comes. And how's he coming? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with hallelujah. No, no, no. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a hallelujah. And when he hits that yah, the dead are raised, and you're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I still believe it. He's still coming. It's still going to happen. And ladies, you'll see the fastest makeover you ever saw in your life. Glory. I'll get waves back on my beach. <laughs> I'll trade this 48 bag and back in for a 22. You'll see the most handsome Bill Hammond you ever saw. <laughs> a few months after my wife took off to heaven, I looked up and I said, now, honey, I know you're up there. Your skin is just perfect. Not, not an extra pound. Not one gray hair. I mean, your cute little waistline you had when I got married. You're just perfect. But you got to remember, you're still married to no fat prophet down here. <laughs> <laughs> You better be good. And she looked down and said, you're the one that better be good. I'm in good shape. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now, how many believe you're a member of the body of Christ? I also believe each church, each ministry, each group does a, has called to do a special work. 
you know, we're all called to, we're all called to have the same eleven chemical elements in our body. We're all called to have blood flowing throughout our body. We're all called to breathe the breath of life. But how many know you have a different fingerprint than anybody else? And you digest a little different. You know, I used to eat half a gallon of ice cream and, and three meals a day and be skinny. You know, I was wild and going and nervous and high strung and nobody liked me and nothing liked me and nothing hung around. Now I'm old and sweet and charming. Everything hangs around. You know, <laughs> just sticks with me. <laughs> But I, I asked the Lord one day, I said, well, I, I see where this group, they, yeah, they, they fulfill this, and they fulfill this part of the body, and they fulfill that. How many know Paul said, someone like the eye, someone ear, do you know my backbone's never been up front, see what's going on? <laughs> and my feet have been stuck at the bottom of the body their whole life, and every new 10 pounds I put on, they complain a little more. <laughs> you know, my ear has never seen a thing. My nose has never said a word. And my mouth has never heard a thing. But they each have their job. Come on, they each have their ministry. And, and when you were born, God made a brand new mold. And as soon as he finished you, he threw the mold away and said, never again. According to your self-image, get happy or sad. But I believe we each group, ministry, network, has a calling. And I asked the Lord, I said, what is CI's member of the body, are we? I thought he'd say the mouth because we prophesy over the eyes because we see revelation. And he shocked me. He said, you're the womb. Womb. Yeah, he said, you conceive revelation, get pregnant, and birth moves of God. And in this book, because the last move of God, when I finished this the first time, I had to update it in 2002, finished it in 81. But I predicted there'd have to be a move of God to restore the prophet and the apostle back in the church because it takes all five to perfect and equip the church. He gave apostle, hold up your hand like this. Say apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. Pastor's got the wedding ring on. Pray for the pastor. Oh God, he's married to the saints. And the teacher. All right, tell me again. And in the Apostle Prophets come and moves of God, I put that hand in there as a diagram. But this is the hand of God. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. It's almost impossible to humble yourself under God out here as a lone ranger all by yourself. Because Jesus says, as much as you do, the least of these, you do it to me. And if you can't submit to an apostle or a prophet or a pastor here, you sure can't submit to God. Amen? So, we, we, in 1987, we had the, the intercession. God hit us. I, I described that in the book on um, the prophetic movement. How many has ever read this book on prophets and personal prophecy? Everybody should have studied that. Over half a million about there. Everybody's read it. It's just about. But then when the prophetic movement was birthed, I wrote this book, Prophets and the Prophetic Movement. It covers more about prophets and the prophetic movement and the seven principles of, of uh, a prophetic movement. But in this, we talk about the intercession or the labor pain started in 87. And we, all, we were praying at the end of a service. Labor pains hit us. About 700 people, we went into intercession. A year later... I just finished preaching 
on the company of prophets God's raising up to prepare the way and make ready for all the purposes of God and the coming of the Lord. And when I got through, the power of God hit me, and in the spirit, I just went down on my knees, and I saw a vision of God raising this baby in his hand, and he says, this is the prophetic's Prophets, I'm raising, will you help me raise him? Will you be a father in the prophetic? And I said, yes. And then I saw God just raising us all up. And I saw different groups. And God raised up thousands of prophets in North America and thousands of prophets around the world. And that went on for about 45 minutes. And several of you that are here tonight were there. And that was the birthing of the prophetic movement. And then in 1988, I knew... Uh, I hadn't accepted, I'd got as many prophecies about being an apostle as I had a prophet. And, but I wouldn't take the title apostle because my latter rain brethren, who just had prophetic presbytery, they didn't believe a prophet was good for anything except run outside his cave, prophesy, and run back in. They didn't believe a pastor, a prophet could pastor a church, couldn't be head of a Bible college like I'd established and was president of. I mean, they didn't believe a prophet had any administration ability to do anything except prophesy. And so they didn't even believe I could. In fact, they said they wouldn't accept that I could be president of my own Bible college or pastor. I mean, you don't understand the old ideas of what a prophet was were so weird. They really saw a prophet as a hard-nosed, fundamentalist deacon. God's mad. I'm mad. You're going to hell. A prophet was a madman. Had no common sense. Just had a voice. Honey dripping over his chin and locust legs hanging out of his mouth and all that, you know. And that's the reason I had to prove that prophets are more than just a voice. David was a prophet, and he pastored the whole Israel. Moses was a prophet, the Bible says, and he delivered three million people out of bondage. Daniel was a prophet, and he was an administration right-hand man of the biggest empire in the world. And on and on. I had to work and write and work and write to really get people back to believe. And then I told all my young men and ladies, I expect you to be ladies and gentlemen. Being a prophet doesn't give you the right to be obnoxious, crude, rude, blast everybody, criticize everybody, and try to straighten everybody out. Amen. I said, a prophet is one of the five expressions of Jesus Christ. If a pastor is to be a gentleman, if a teacher is to be a gentleman, if the evangelist is to be a gentleman, the prophet should be a gentleman. So, ladies and gentlemen, amen. And that's when I developed the 10 M's, and that's the reason we need to follow those. So, I started teaching and training and, and developing, and I, I'll go anywhere in the world, people say, I can tell CI prophets when they come. I knew one prophet, no training, no equipping. He went into a church and said, you're not the pastor, this man is. Tried to rearrange the whole thing. You don't do that. The other prophet went in and tried to expose. You've got adultery. You've got a problem here. Uh, you don't do that. I had to teach. It's not hard to activate people. It's get them to know how to do it right. Because once we started activating people, I had to write this book on pitfalls to avoid and principles to practice. Because I, 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 I found out the saints were like a box of cereals, a lot of nuts and flakes. <laughs> you know? I mean, there's some weird people out there that are drawn like flies and moths to the light of prophetic. <laughs> so it took a lot of training, I'm telling you. 
You know, and, and pastors said, well, I, I don't want weird people. I said, the best way to get rid of the weird people, train all your people to be 500 watt bulbs. And when one of these little 25 watt bulbs come by, says, God told me, or God showed me, they don't even pay any attention to them. Amen. The best way to save yourself from weird prophetics is train your people to be so prophetic that by the time the weird ones come in, everybody recognizes them. You, you can't avoid them. They're going to fill the earth. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we've got to hurry. Jesus coming quickly. I know you want to be going to heaven and be good for nothing forever. All right. Then 1988, we was 98. Well, that's 88. Jump up ahead 10 years, 98. We was at this service, and we were, I just preached, I did, but Dutch Sheets was here, and he preached on the Father's heart. And at the end, he asked me to come up and release the Father's heart to the congregation. I came up, the platform used to go a little different here, and, and I, I, I started praying for him. I prayed about three or four minutes, and suddenly I saw a vision of a big heart about the size of a basketball came and hit me right in the chest. And God says, I'm giving you my father heart. I hit the floor on my knees and started praying and interceding. I was in intercessory birthing pains and prayer uh, for about 30 minutes, several coming gathered around me. And while I was doing that, Dutch teachers walking back and forth and says, the apostolics being birthed, the apostolics being birthed, the apostolics being birthed. And for CI, that was the birthing of the apostolic in 1998. Then I knew that when all five were restored and do our job of equipping the saints, we could have a saints movement. So in 1997, I started preaching. Well, first I wrote the book on Apostle Prophets, Coming Moves of God, and uh, Three Coming Moves of God. And then I wrote the book on the Day of the Saints. How many believe the saints have a ministry? And listen, preachers, your main ministry is not to preach or to administrate. Your main preacher is to equip the saints. Come on. I said to equip the saints. He gave apostles, prophets, and faith, pastors, and teachers to write books, travel the world, build great churches, and become the greatest man of God ever heard of. No. He gave us to equip the saints for the work of their membership ministry. Amen. So this book is the first one Peter Wagner talks about that talked about the seven mountains. Talk, well, it was four seven mountains were talked about. Talks about ministers in the marketplace and all that God's going to do and how to do that. After that, I caught up with the Holy Spirit's restoration because in 2007, we had the Saints Movement birth here. And Cindy Jacobs, Chuck Pierce, Dutch Sheets, and L. Lou Ingalls was all here. They all witnessed and said the, third, the Saints Movement was birth. That was in April, wasn't it? It was the Watchman Conference. And, um, but I wasn't fully satisfied. My wife says, how come? You've been frustrated for years about something. What, what is it? I said, well, it's birth, but I still feel something. I should have known better because I was pregnant with a prophetic movement for about 10 years, 15. And I said, had you ever felt like you go to the refrigerator and it doesn't satisfy? You go do sports? I mean, you got a hunger that nothing can seem to satisfy. you got an itch that nobody can scratch. You ever had said that something? Uh, there's more. There's more. There's something else. There's something else. There's something else. And it just kept eating on me. And I said, God, what is it? What is it? What is it? And uh, even though the saints movement was birthed, I still, I just still, still wasn't content. There's something. And then in the spring of 2008, God spoke to me from heaven and said, the third and final church reformation has been decreed from heaven. And now we're in the third reformation. And as the 
Protestant movement in 1500 launched the Second Reformation. Now the Saints movement launched the Third Reformation. And now we're in the Third Reformation. And there's about 15 things of Third Reformations to fulfill. And one of the main things the Third Reformation is to do is we're to activate all the truths and ministries that have been restored over the last 500 years, activate them and start demonstrating the kingdom of God and power and glory to prove there's no God like Jehovah Jesus. He's Lord. He's King of all. He's Lord of all. We've got to demonstrate it to the world. So Jesus said the kingdom has to be demonstrated in all the world for a witness to every nation before Jesus can come. Amen? And if you want Jesus to come, get start demonstrating the kingdom. Amen? All right. I've got to hurry. I only got 10 more pages. We're coming. No, I just... Uh, <laughs> I was at a meeting where there was about 400 apostles that fall, and every one of them was saying we're in a third church. Every one of them was saying we're in a new era of Christianity. All of them were saying something about something new has happened. We've entered into a new dimension. We've entered into the third day, third millennial church. Uh, they all had something, but God had always told me it was the third and final church reformation. And when I had Peter Wagner write the foreword and he write the book on prophetic scripture yet to be fulfilled, which covers the first, second, and third reformation. He agreed that the third reformation was the best description of what God was doing. We've had a one first reformation for Jesus and the church to be established. We've had the second reformation to restore all ministers in truth out of the, that was lost during the dark age. Now we're in a third reformation and Jesus is still going to come. Amen but he's waiting on his church. Then I had the chance to write this book on who am I and why am I here? Turn to your neighbor and ask you, who are you and why are you here? <laughs> How many believe you're here on purpose? And the subtitles, eight reasons God created the human race. And there's stuff in this I already get a chance to preach. But number seven is worship. Number eight is fellowship. And there's six before that, that's more meaningful and personal to God. Amen. If you've got any young people under 90, this is really good for them. All right. <laughs> then after I wrote the book on the third reformation, God said, write the book that will help them fulfill it. So I wrote the book on 70 reasons for speaking in tongues. How many has read this book? Every saint. How many saw me on Sid Roth? It's supernatural when I did it. Uh, and we've got the tape series back there too on it. So heaven, 70 reasons. I tell you, he sent the spirit language to act to launch the church, and he's going to use the spirit language to finish the church. If you know the 70 reasons and benefits. And then all this weird stuff going on in doctrines, I wrote the book on how can these things be. Subtitle, a preacher and a miracle worker, but denied heaven. And then, but the main thing that makes this book so great, I cover the 10 M's in detail. I cover the 10 M's here in one thing. And by the way, I found out that we have... Uh, some of the original that I, when I personally printed, this is Destiny Image, but I've got enough there that I'll, have, I'll get those maybe, guys, and we'll sell them at half price for people that want them. Everybody should have that. And then the last book I wrote is God's World War Three. The world, the nations, is right now in a cyber war, but it's going to end up in a blood and bombs war before it's over with. We are in a spirit war. How many know we don't war against flesh and blood? Not with machine guns or planes or tanks. And we don't touch mortal people. We, we kill demons. How many is a demon destroyer? Come on. 
Every morning you wake up, the devil said, oh no, they're awake again. <laughs> I want to get to the place where I destroy devils and every time the devil tries to assign any new devils, they just shiver and say, please don't assign me to him. He kills us all. <laughs> How many want that reputation in heaven and in hell? <laughs> Amen. Well, we're in a spirit war, but according to Revelations 19, it's going to end up in a flesh and blood war and we're going to kill antichrist beings and cast them in a lake of fire. I know you're going to heaven to be sweet, Jesus. Just float around and say hallelujah. And be a hallelujah, holy ghost bomb. And, and, and uh, oh, that doesn't work in South Africa, does not remember that. But anyhow, <laughs> but how many know you don't know what ministry, destiny, work is to after you get to eternity? Why do you think Jesus is, God has worked for 6,000 years to get a people like himself and take them to eternity to do nothing? God has a plan. I sure not call this the eternal church because the church is eternal. Did you know you were going to be members of his church forever? Some of you look real sad. What church do you go to? <laughs> you know, I get amazed how many saints look forward to go to heaven and get away from the church. Must be you deacons and elders or something. Amen. But you know, I told Dean one day, I said, when you, I'll probably get there before you do, Dean. But don't go look for me at the worship department. I'll be at the war department with General Michael, my friend. Amen. There's always going to be an army in heaven. Come on. I'm going to have to explain it to you. I know you're going up there. Innocent as a lamb, good for nothing forever. Okay. It's not eternal vacation. It's eternal vocation. Hallelujah. And now World War III. Okay. When you read all of those, I'll have another read, written for you. Okay. <laughs> this is what we call the Army of the Lord. But also, we're in the second phase of the prophetic movement. Let me encourage all of you. As I travel around the world, I find there's more interest now in the prophetic than it was even back in the 80s. There's a real hunger. We're in a second phase. The first phase was Ezekiel 37, where there was a noise, and we started preaching it and prophesying about it. And then there's a great shaking. And then prophets started coming together, and networks started coming together, and meat and skin and came up on. We, but then we didn't have that life. But then he said, prophesy again. And this is the time we're going to prophesy again. And when we do, it says resurrection life came and they stood up a great and exceeding army. You're getting ready to be the great and exceeding army and resurrection life. And now the six doctrines of Christ were in the first phase of the three phases of resurrection life where we're going to see resurrection life. We're going to see miracles, people raised from the dead. We're going to see signs and wonders like never before because God's day, it's God's hour, it's God's time, and we need to move into it, lay hold of it, and demonstrate it. Amen? Now, one of the great anointings that's been upon CI is a reproducing anointing. If you see anybody teaching and training people in the prophetic, you go back to the, where it originated from CI. None of the other prophets I know of, prophetic accounts, back then in the 80s or 90s, reproduced. Even all those we have in don't reproduce. And I used to go to the big name prof, uh, ministers back in the 50s, and I'd ask Or Roberts or William Branham or Jack Cohen, how, how do you know this and how do you do that and how do you heal the sick and how do you get a word of knowledge? And they all had the same answer. I can't tell you God's secrets. And they had no revelation or no motivation that they could help anybody. 
You've got to get it just like they got it, fasting and praying on their own. But God told me when he gave me that divine visitation, he said, I want you to tell them everything you know, give them everything you have, and raise everybody up to your level do everything you can do. Amen. And he said, if you'll raise them up to your level, I'll take you higher. Raise them up to your level, I'll take you higher. Raise them up to your level, I'll take you higher. And every once in a while, I've said, God, I feel like there are trees around me, and I'm down here. What am I going to do? He said, I'll take you higher. And he doesn't always do it like I thought he would. I thought I'd be casting out all the devils, raising all the dead, but no. But he has different ways. Like the article in the magazine that came out and named me among one-tenth of one percent of the 40,000 ministers over the last 40 years that's really affected the church, and they put my name among it, and it did a difference. It, 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 it was, it was it raising up. Come on. I mean, God has his ways. He doesn't, you know, I, it's like when he named the five uh, ministries, and he called them apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I said, Lord, if you'd ask me, I said, don't do that. Because if you name them, they, they want to who's the greatest, and everybody wants to be the greatest. That's the reason everybody becomes an apostle, but nobody wants to become a prophet because they get stoned. I don't mean this stuff, but I mean, bang. <laughs> the hardest place I've had to raise up some real strong prophets is African-Americans. I don't know why. And Spanish hadn't been too successful with that either. But we're starting to get more African-American prophets. They want to be apostles. I can get apostles. I've got all over the place apostles. <laughs> We've got a few that's still strong prophets, amen. And when I took on the apostolic, everybody became an apostle. In fact, but I did deliberately start calling them pastor so-and-so. If they're apostles, call them apostle so-and-so. Just to get the name. I want to make apostles and prophets as common and as accepted as evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And that's been my goal and passion for all these years. And it's pretty well so. Everybody's an apostle now in the charismatic movement. All right. Now, we've trained over more than 300,000 in the Manual for Ministry of Spiritual Gifts on every continent. And we've got people that are training, people that are training, people that are training people. And um, as they said, 4,000 ministers around the world and 1,000 in the United States. And we were just in Hawaii a couple, two or three weeks ago. And we went to this Lahana, Lahana. And they got this banyan tree there that covers, a, which covers an area bigger than this church. And it got this base trunk, and it goes out, and the root goes down, it forms another trunk. And it goes out another trunk, and it keeps on going, keeps on going. And there's one in India, Calcutta, India, that covers 10 acres from one root. One, and some of those goes out, and some of those roots way out there get bigger than the base. And see, that's when you... When you're, when you're a reproducer, those roots go out and go down, go down, you know, like Robert, you know, his, his church now has grown to six, seven hundred, and, and it's a bigger base than what we are here as a local church. But that's the joy of it. You keep on reproducing, reproducing, reproducing. Amen? Like the human body. How many know every part of your body, major members of your body is on a team? I got an eye team, iris, retina, eyelash, eyeball, backbone, vertebrae, disc, you know, my hand, everybody's on a team. How many know every member of your body is on a team, right? That's the reason today we heard that we need to be on a team. Now, and I'm getting ready to close this out. And uh, about five years ago, 
I think Chuck prophesied to me and Cindy and a few others, said, God's going to make an apostle of apostles. And then they, ever who was prophesying, they said, I don't know how that'll work. Apostles don't submit to anybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a true word because just right after that, God started opening up people for me to minister, like Reynoso's. They came in. They have uh, eight apostles under them. And those eight apostles have churches are ministered, pastors under them. Pastors have hundreds of saints. But I'm his papa. He's a head of a big network. But we count all the churches under him as part of us because he's part of us. But everybody needs somebody. Come on, I said, everybody needs somebody. And then Guillermo Maldonado asked if I'd be his apostle, prophet, his papa. And he's got even a network of churches now. And then we have brother from Mexico who's here. You hear it tonight. Brother Felix, is your he got caught up in the rapture, I guess. Okay. But he's got about where yet? Oh, there you are. Back here, Brother Felix. Yeah. About four, five, six hundred, six hundred churches under him now, uh, after we ordained him and he got going great. We're we're not a denomination, we're a network. I mean no networks get together, you know. And so we don't we're not trying to control you. We're trying to inspire you, enable you, and help you fulfill your destiny, amen. And um then we have activations that we did. We have about 100 activations. We have activations to discover what's in there. How many know there's instruments to tell you where there's gold in the ground, silver, uranium, oil, gas, right? We have activations to find out what you got. Come on, it forces you to find out what you have, and that we've done that for years and years. Now, I want to talk a little bit about a, a new faith level. How many heard it? faith level? How many want to go to a new level? I believe this week, I'm finally going to see what I've been saying is going to happen, that Zechariah 12.8 is being enacted in each one of you this week. How many like to have Zechariah 12.8? Where it says, the least of you shall be like David, the mighty warrior. And those that are functioning like David will be like Jesus Christ himself. Wow. How many know Jesus said, the works that I do, greater works than these shall you do? How many is ready to go to the new level? All right. Now, when my wife and I got married, I was a very, I always called it frugal, you know, frugal or discreet. I kept record of every, every penny I spent. And finally, my wife said, I'm not going to tell you I spent a nickel on an ice cream cone. <laughs> and finally, I finally learned how to get the last word in. I just said, yes, dear. But, um, <laughs> but I wasn't a good giver. I, I thought I was a preacher and and they're supposed to pay me. I support me. But I found out, I started reading Orr Roberts' book and other faith books and different ones. And I found out, you, whatever you sow, you reap. So I sowed preaching and I got preached at. <laughs> All the saints try to try to straighten me out. <laughs> you sow mercy, what do you get? Come on. You know, I, I was raised on a farm. We sold cotton, we got cotton. Sold corn, we got corn. Sold peanuts, we got peanuts. Sold sugar cane, we got molasses. <laughs> you see, whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. And I found out, even as a preacher, I had to be a giver. I had to give money to get money. And I, we started giving in the 70s. My wife read Or Roberts' book on seed faith. And for God said, God knows your need. He needs your seed to meet your need. How many know God knows your need? But he can't meet your need if you don't sow the seed. For he says, give and it shall be. There is a recipe for every need you have. 
You can pay, pray to your blue, black, green, and yellow in the face, but if you don't practice the principle, you don't get it. Come on. Without faith, it's impossible to get anything from God. So I started really praying, asking God to help me. And in 1990, a brother preached on generational blessing. And I thought, great. I want my grandchildren. I had nine grandchildren at that time. My daughter's two boys hadn't been born yet. So I gave $1,000 toward each grandchild that they would serve the Lord. They'll be God's children, and they'll give themselves to God. And if they get bad, he just slap them around and get them back in line. You know? <laughs> and um, that took faith. I gave $1,000 each. And you know what? But I, we didn't have a lot of money then, and that was a big step of faith. But two days later in the conference, Brother Turnell Nelson from Trinidad got up. Right over here, how that told you? Got up. And he took up an offer, and they took an offering for me and got $18,000. And God said, see, I can get it back to you faster than you thought. Come on. How many believe you cannot give God? half mast. How many believe you cannot give God? I tried it, and you can't. Amen. And then in 1997, my wife and I had bought this 15 acres over here beside the church. And we subdivided it and had it paid enough money to have roads put in and divided it into 19 lots. We gave a lot to each one of our children. And then we kept the end lot with the house on it. And you can see that in the, this book here. It's a picture of it in there. But we tr was trying every way to get that house built. And we went to bank after bank, the loan companies. And they wanted this and they wanted that. One place we went to, they had a stack of papers that much wanted us to fill out. And we were getting so frustrated, and we were traveling so much, I didn't have much time to work at it. And we were having our conference in 1997. And Manuel Crescent, how many of you remember Manuel Canastrasi? You know Manuel Canastrasi? Uh, Italian preacher, he's, he's older than I am. <laughs> you know, and he, he started preaching just as he got out of diapers. <laughs> no, he started preaching about 16 years old, so he's been almost 70 years a preacher. But he was here preaching for us, and he would take in the offering, and he got up to preach and said, I just feel like God says there's an anointing here tonight for building a house debt-free. And I said, wow, I'll lay hold of that. And normally my wife and I, if we're going to give anything over a thousand, talk it over and agree. But I got so inspired, I jumped up and I said, my wife and I are going to give $50,000. And I looked at my wife and I said, is that okay with you? And after they picked her up off the floor. <laughs> she had skimped and saved and stuck back till she had $50,000. And we was going to put it as a down payment on the home. But I, I said, we're going to give it. And she agreed, kind of. I mean, yeah, she agreed. And then she took it and gave it all. And you know what? We built that 5,000-square-foot home debt-free. Yeah. Hallelujah. And that 50,000 song was better than keeping it and have our down payment and paying $3,000 a month for the rest of my life. Amen? And then, what was the last conference? I was praying about the offering, and I felt the Lord said, have them give what 10% of what the debt they want God to pay off. 
In other words, pay the tithe on it before you get it paid off. So I don't know how my brain wasn't working straight somehow or another because I wanted $400,000 paid off that I owe at the bank. So I wrote out a check for $4,000. And I'm up here making a presentation. And I'm telling the people, I'm believing God to pay off $400,000. And, I, and it's got to, God didn't say 5% or 15%. He said 10%. And everybody's looking at me strange. Why are they looking at me so strange? And I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 4,000 is not 10% of 40,000. 40,000 is 10% of 400,000. But I'd already said God told me to give it. And I already had the check. So I had to tear up the check and write a check for $40,000. But I tell you, God has already paid it back. Plus, Amen. About, I guess it's been 20, 25 years ago, I preached a message that God gave me. We took up an offering for the building of the church. We got, got $400,000 came in that night. Now, normally, as a preacher, you say, boy, I got the formula. And you'd preach it every time or you went. But he wouldn't let me preach it again until now. Amen. And tonight he said I could. Now, let me tell you, we've come a long ways, but we've got a long ways to go. I want you to put the PowerPoint on on the Jubilee year. How many of 50 is a Jubilee year? 50 days from Pentecost to resurrection and to the church. So you're going to put it up very hard. We're, during a Jubilee, a Jubilee offering will give you, you get you released back to your family from everybody that's in bondage. Property return, the original owner, according to the tribes. I'd like to sign a re return of some stuff. The devil owes you. Debts were canceled. How many want some debts canceled? I've got about a million dollars worth of debt. I won't cancel. There was a time when a family recovers its uh, absent members. Then inheritance released and restored. Wow. Now, also, we have a 50-year plan. We're putting in the face. First Corinthians 16.9. Have you got that one? It says, there is a great open door before me for effective work. I keep getting prophecy. I've heard what Apostle Leon prophesied. I've got about 10 or 15 prophecies everywhere I go. People prophesy the next 10 years are going to be more fruitful and more productive than all your rest of your life. Amen? In fact, I'm inviting you back for the next anniversary of our 7090. We had our 6080 in 2014 and in 2024, I'll be 70 years in ministry and 90 years old. Still going strong. Amen. Hallelujah. But thank God, I've got some youngins that are got a vision. Apostles Tom and Jane and Tim and Karen and Sherilyn and a whole multitude of spiritual sons. Are. In fact, a board of governors that's helping to envision. All the board of governors and regional directors stand. Amen. There. Plus all the staff at CI and all the workers. And, uh, you know, I, I, Tom and Jane's been pastoring a church. I pastored it one year and turned over to them, and they run the church. I'm, I'm not a tight control person. I give it to you just like we, we train you, like my dad taught me how to swim. He threw me in the rivers and swim or drown. <laughs> so I say, you take that couple and start prophesying to them. Prophesy. Amen. If you get stuck, we'll help you out. 
But we have plans. We, we, about 10 years ago, uh, we was going to work with a company from Dallas, and we had the whole plan surveyed and landscape, I mean, a plan with the blueprints and uh, what do you call it, where you schematic, where you look at the whole thing. Anyhow, we was going to build 342 apartments and a kind of a hotel on the north side. And we're going to expand this, bring all the offices over there to here. We have 24 acres over there, 41 acres here. And so we feel it's time to start doing that now. So we're going to start moving the north side offices and housing to the south side of Highway 98. We're going to complete the next phase of the International Training Center in order to house them. We're going to put CI staff and operations over here, expand the studios, expand breakout space for training and equipping, space for kingdom business. Amen. And then the north side of the property will be used to develop affordable housing for the staffing community. And I believe God's going to send us some builders or some vision people that's going to help us do it. Amen. I've had prophecies to that extent. And then we're going to hope to have a hotel unit on the four acres right there on the side of the other side of the road uh, for conferences and seminars, then dormitories for on-campus students and kingdom business space. And then we're going to raise up a new generation of millennials. We've already got plans of working, working for the kingdom people and getting them going. And I know that God has got plans for it. And I've just been praying, praying. And I heard the Lord say, I'm going to go ahead for you and fight for you. If you've ever heard me preach on World War III, God says, I'll fight for you. Now, I believe God's been fighting spirits of fear, unbelief, and that. And we're going to, we're going to just uh, receive a jubilee offering and a vision future offering. How many would like to have a part of all that God's going to do through CI? Amen. So I'm not going to beg you or plead you. I'm going to give you opportunity to come. Where's Sherlyn? I gave her my... Where'd she go? There you are. I gave her my checkbook for business, how my soul, and my personal checkbook. I said, write 5000 each. I'm going to give $10,000 a night, and I want four, at least four other people to come join me up here for, for $10,000. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a way for every one of you to have $50,000 account to your account. How many like to have $50,000 on your account in heaven? All right. I'm going to have five of us give 10000 make it 50. I'm going to have 10 of us give 5,000, make 50,000. We're going to have 20, give 2,500 for 50, and 50, give 1,000, 100, give 500, and all the rest of you give what you can. Amen? And God's, you see the synergy. One can put 1,000 a flight, two can put 10,000. And the Lord said he would put the 50,000 to your account. You only may give 2,500 or 10,000 or 5,000. But if we can get that amount with each group, you get the same 50,000. But now, he said he'd give 100% to what you gave. And I'm, I, I need 100% on my 10,000. I've got almost a million dollars I need to pay off. Amen? And I don't do any, I don't ask you to do anything. I don't make the, I don't step up and do it first. Amen? So, I want you just to ask the Lord to give you faith and vision for what he wants you to do. Lord, right now, open every heart and spirit only you can touch the heart and spirit of faith of people. Some will have to go home and convert a CD or, or K21 or something, some kind of money or somehow or another, but they put it on credit card and pay it off with it when they get home, whatever they got to do. But they will step out in faith. God, because you want to bless them, Lord. You want to bless them with not, not only a hundredfold what they give, but if we get the same amount in each group, they get $50,000 extra to their account for the future of what they need and what they want. So, Lord, just move on hearts right now. You speak to them. 
And just like us, when we give an altar call, it's only those you deal with that we can get saved. It's only ones you deal with that we can get to respond and do and whatever you tell them to do and whatever faith they have to move out into. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Christian International's Teaching of the Week. For more information on conferences, training intensives, and other resources to help make a powerful difference, please visit our website at christianinternational.com.